All right, what's up, guys? My name is Adam McRoberts, and this is the Do Big Things Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing. Big Things Crewing is a company we started. If you are an ultra ultra marathon runner or an aspiring ultra marathon runner, we can help you out. If you need help getting to the start line with coaching plans or training plans, we can get you there. If you need help getting to the finish line with crewing or pacing for your ultra marathon, we just may be able to help you there too. We've been there, we've done it, uh, we've got years and years of experience, and uh, we're just at a point in our lives where we want to help you out. Um, service is, is uh, a big thing for us, and um, we would love to help you achieve your dreams and help you do big things. That is our goal. So hit us up if you're interested. You can find us at big-things-crewing.com. And uh, we're all over the place. The social medias, whatever. If you guys dig this podcast, um, sharing it is a great way to show your support. Um, You can like us, give us a thumbs up, leave us a review. Anything you guys can do, um, it helps this podcast be seen. And we are now on Stitcher. So if that is your preferred way to listen to podcasts like it is myself, you can now find us on Stitcher too. Um, I have a great conversation for you guys today. This is going to be another Nolan's 14 installment. Um, I talk with Sean Van Horn. He just finished Nolan's 14. He elected to go south to north, supported, and he just absolutely crushed it. Uh, If you're not familiar with Nolan's 14, it is a 100-mile point-to-point adventure with 14, 14, 14,000-foot peaks thrown in there, um, you know, just just for fun. You have to summit all 14 of these 14,000-foot peaks, and you can do it however you want. Whichever route you think is fastest or easiest, but you have to start at one end and end up at the other end, summoning all these 14,000 foot peaks. Um, You can go north to south, south to north, and Sean went south south to north, and in order for it to quote-unquote count, you have to do it in under 60 hours, which is a huge undertaking in itself, but Sean did it in just under 46 hours. It was the second fastest ever, and just he just put an outstanding time up there. I mean, under 46 hours, it's mind-blowing. Under 60 hours is mind-blowing. Trust me, I've spent some time out there, and uh, 46 hours is just incredible. And this is a great conversation. Not only do we talk about Nolan's and his experience with cycling and ultra marathon, but uh, we also talk about his experience with depression, mental illness, um, drugs in his early teen years, which ended up leading to uh, an eating disorder in his later teen years. Uh, he was a professional cyclist, and to be fast on a bike and competitive, you've got to be light. And uh, he really uh, spun out and went down a a rabbit hole 
Um, and, uh, you know, there's some raw emotion involved in this conversation. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, we are all about helping people do big things. And Nolan's 14 is definitely a big thing. But facing down your demons, um, overcoming addiction, depression, learning to live with mental illness, um, getting over uh, an eating disorder. These are all huge things. So um, it's just a great conversation and I'm really pumped to bring it to you guys. How was you guys' week? Let me know. Give me a shout. I love hearing from you guys. Um, I had a couple days off. We went up to Wyoming to uh, um, Medicine Bow National Park. Did some hiking, did some paddleboarding, and uh, just had a great weekend with uh, some camping and had a blast. Trying to teach my little puppy how to paddleboard. And uh, holy cow, talk about big things. That is uh, that is a big undertaking as well. Um, holy cow. Um, we are doing our best to train her, but uh, someone recently told us you can't take the go- you can't train the golden retriever out of a go- uh, how did she say it? You can't unteach the, the, the golden out of the golden retriever. Something to that effect. I, I'm kind of messing it up, but you get the point. Anyways, try uh, imagine trying to uh, train a puppy how to paddleboard that just loves to swim. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting to say the least. So with that, um, I guess that's about it for me. Um, like I said, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Uh, let me know. I love hearing from you guys. Give us a like, give us a review, share this podcast. Any way you can support it is greatly appreciated. So with that, I would like to introduce you to Mr. Sean Van Horn. Life is short. Do big things. Hey, Adam, can you hear me? Hey, Sean. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good, man. Congratulations. Thank you. It was quite a couple days, I guess. Oh, I can only imagine. So you finished on Saturday, right? Yeah, Saturday afternoon. So I have had a little time to recover. I had to go back to work today. So. Oh, gotcha. Are you walking around all right, or are you on crutches or in a wheelchair? Or how you doing? Overall, my body feels pretty good. The most sore thing on me is my shoulders. Oddly enough, my I, I always get, I think a lot of people get this. I always get some upper trapezius pain when I'm when I'm yeah. running. It gets it gets pretty intense yeah. for the first ultra I did. It, it definitely might have brought me to tears <laughs> uh, um, but they, that, that's been pretty sore walking around anytime I have to have to lift a, a shoe box I'm I'm wincing <laughs> got it so if your traps are sore I'm wondering are you like carrying water bottles out there or are you I mean maybe you're doing more running than hiking uh, on the Nolan's course than than someone like me would be doing 
Uh, I think some of it is from the double pulling and then part okay. of my, uh, you know, just, just pulling, I, I pull really hard with my trekking poles. I have, I've Nordic okay. skied quite a bit and I do a lot of schema. So I think I, I really throw my, my upper body into those poles instead of lightly touching them on the ground, gotcha. like some trail owners might, but also I, I think some of my, my, my backstory is that I've, I have a backstory that I, uh, I've had a couple back surgeries and I have kind of a, a wonky body. So I, I, I do get some pretty intense pain in some, some odd places at times. And I, I, I kind of blame it on that more than anything. Gotcha. Okay. Well, cool, man. I, I want to hear the backstory and I've got a wonky body too, and I've got some, some lower back pain. So, uh, maybe you got some, some tips or advice for me, but, Oof. um, yeah, I'd love to hear the uh, the backstory. Uh, just for everyone listening, I'm talking to Sean Van Horn, who just destroyed Nolan's 14. Uh, he elected to go south to north, supported, and uh, finished it in just under 46 hours. Uh, does, that, does that sound right? Yep, sounds right. I uh, tried to run real fast, which meant 10-minute pace, uh, those last couple couple miles and just sneaked under 46 hours so yeah 45 no kidding. Seven, i think wow wow that's awesome man how did you first hear of nolan's 14 uh you know i think i'm trying i was trying to remember that the other day i am not sure i i think that my part of my introduction to trail and ultra running probably like a lot of people uh who started around when i did was through tony krupichka and okay I think I had heard about it before his attempt. I think I knew of Eric Lee and Gavin McKenzie doing it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure those were quite a bit before Tony went out to do that, but I could certainly be incorrect on that point. But no, that sounds right. But I, I got into trail running after cycling, uh, I, I was a pretty competitive cyclist when I was young. And then I, I, my, my body went awry, ended up being a herniated disc. It was misdiagnosed for quite a while, but I, I didn't know that for, for quite some time. And when I quit cycling, despite having back pain, I still wanted to get out and exercise and do things for, for a variety of reasons that maybe we could get into later. For sure. And I, I lived in Boulder at the time and just ended up running around Green Mountain and, and, and the Flatirons and whatnot. And so I think I was just, just introduced to it from from that. And, I you know, I did go out and run up some 14ers and run up, you know, longs and, and stuff in the, in the Indian Peaks. And it's something I heard of that I thought was completely and absolutely psychotic and that my body <laughs> would never, ever be able to do so for me to be able to just complete it is is something that i am that i'm i'm very grateful for and i I don't think many people will really understand how big of a leap it is for me outside of my my wife and and some some long-term friends and my my parents it's it's quite a quite a big change from where I was just a few years ago and, and certainly from where I was, uh, you know, seven or eight, eight years ago, a decade. So. 
Gotcha. Okay. And do you say, I mean, I understand uh, being grateful for sure, but I mean, are you mainly saying that because of uh, the back injuries that you had sustained? And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's, that's where a lot of that comes from. I, so, so basically I was, I guess I'll, I'll elucidate the, the story a little bit more. So I was sure. a pretty competitive cyclist when I was young. I, I did struggle with, with drugs and alcohol from uh, in, in my, in my teenage years and cycling kind of ended up being a a way out of that and I was I was pretty talented I was I was good I wasn't the best in the country or anything but I but I was good and good enough that my goal was going off to college was to get through undergrad and and become a pro cyclist that was that was kind of the the track that I that I assumed that I was gonna going to head down and it wasn't too unreasonable cycling is a little easier to go professional than it is in in running and then when I, my, my freshman, so my freshman year, uh, I guess, sorry, early in my sophomore year, my left leg just stopped working. I had some pain through my hip and, and in my knee and it just, it just wasn't working very well. And I went into mm. the PT and by the doctor first and essentially said, Oh, you have IT band syndrome. Uh, let's, we'll strengthen your glute medius and, and do some core work and we'll go from there. So I ended up you know, being an obsessive 19 year old, I did two hours of physical therapy a day. Okay. And it, it didn't get, it didn't get any better. And, uh, uh, I started seeing massive differences between, uh, the strength of my legs. I, my right leg was, you know, several inches bigger in circumference to my left. And I tried to race that year. And eventually, you know, there's, there's just a lot of, there's just constant, constant pain in my left glute. And I was, uh, had an abnormal gait and I wasn't riding normally. So I, so I just stopped. Mm-hmm. And then kind of, as I said, started getting into running a little bit and some trail running, I ended up doing some triathlon. I kind of found some chiropractor that put me back together I, I think i saw him twice a week you know because he would uh, get my si joints and low back back in alignment and then i would do one run and it would be be out of whack again and, okay uh eventually ended up getting getting an mr getting an mri because my back got to the point where i really couldn't do anything it was in a ton of pain and my girlfriend at the time really was encouraging me to to get it checked out. So got, got the MRI herniated disc. So likely I'd probably at that point probably had a herniated disc for, for four years. Um, oh, wow. Just been pinching on the nerve and it, you know, if it had been dealt with initially wouldn't have maybe been as big of a deal, but probably likely caused some, some nerve damage. Uh, mm-hmm. And kind of, you know, sent some asymmetries cascading throughout the rest of the kinetic chain. So I ended up getting, I, I tried some other conservative treatments, uh, some other therapies and steroid injections, but eventually decided to get surgery, re-herniate right away, got another surgery. So that was, that was probably, geez, nine, I want to say eight or nine years ago at this point. Okay. Gotcha. Maybe a little less. Um, probably eight years ago. And, and this is all after your cycling career. This was what quite a ways after. Yeah. My, my, cycling 
okay. pretty much when I was like 15 to 19. Um, gotcha. Okay. Um, so yeah. So then I, after that really kind of just started running in the mountains and that's kind of how I learned about ultra running and learned about, I think I'd done one fifty K before that, but really learned about ultra running and learned about, heard about Nolan's and, 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 uh, and, and crazier things. But I, I honestly never really thought that that would be something that I would be capable of. I did a hundred K a couple of years later. And when we were living in Crested Butte, so this is probably five years ago. And I did, I had an okay race. I did all right. Considering kind of how out of whack my body still was at that point, but it destroyed me so much that I, I really did not run much for the next couple of years. I, mm. um, I was, I was, I was pretty destroyed um, in, in several different areas throughout, throughout my body, mostly in my hips and low back. So what's really changed for me was really figuring out asymmetries that existed in my body. So instead of doing, instead of doing core work and, and maybe some more like traditionally prescribed exercises, I really tried to figure out what must, where there are asymmetries in my body. Like for me, it's my left hamstring is a lot weaker than my right hamstring. My left back is a lot weaker than my right back. So if I go into the gym, I look like the weirdest person ever because everything <laughs> is completely uh, asymmetrical and, and one-sided. Um, like I will not do any rows on my right side ever. It's all on the left. Oh, wow. And Okay. And yeah. same for like hamstring strengthening. And that has, that has basically changed my relationship with with running i have gone from finishing basic 20 mile long runs in agony and, and back spasms to the point where this entire training cycle i, I have I, I still get to make some pains and, and had had one decent episode leading up to my nolan's attempt but for the most part, I had no back spasms, no pain after any of my runs this year, which is something that probably a lot of people are like, yeah, well, you probably shouldn't have that. But for me, it's it's a complete 180 from where I was a few years ago. And it's it's something I'm, I'm grateful for more than more than any result or um, achievement I, I garner, I guess. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So how long have you been? Working on uh, rehabilitating your back. Uh, I mean, I've been working on re- since I was 19, but uh, the oh, wow. exercises probably really started with. Uh, so I live in Carbondale, Colorado, and there's a great trainer here, Carolyn Parker. She's at uh, Ripple Effect, and she she just kind of looks at bodies a little bit differently. And she was kind of the first person that pointed out my like hamstring asymmetry and I just kind of ran with that and and that that's kind of what was the catalyst for for the the real asymmetrical strength training that made a big difference for me for sure I'm curious how did she figure out um like that hamstring weakness and and how did how did she go about um pinpointing exactly what was wrong I think some of it was some of it is her having an open mind and some of it was was a little bit of luck to be completely honest. We were focusing on some other areas. And one day she's like, you know, your left knee's a little unstable. 
Mm. And I said, huh, that's odd. Yeah, I, I have had ACL reconstruction on that. And she's like, huh, what? Did they use a cadaver? Did they, you know, harvest a, a tendon from you? Like, and, and I said, no, they, yeah, they took my, my hamstring tendon. And they're like, huh. she's like, huh. And then she did some strength tests and like your left hamstring is incredibly weak compared to your right. And I just kind of took that little nugget and ran with it. So I, I tore my ACL when I was at boarding school when I was 15 and it healed immediately. I was walking within weeks, but because of that, I never did any PT. I didn't do anything to strengthen that, that hamstring and then became an endurance athlete, get into cycling. And I think that asymmetry just kind of grew over the next four years and then eventually caused a problem in my hips that went into my spine and, and throughout. That's my, my best guess right now. Gotcha. Wow. Unreal, man. Well, I'm glad you've got it all figured out. Yeah. And it seems like uh, you're on top of it now, but um, am I right in saying that you haven't done a hundred mile race yet? Uh, I have ultra sign up does not show it, but uh, oh, okay. I, did, I did my first hundred last year in Northern Italy. It oh, okay. An amazing race. I highly, highly suggest it to anyone. If anyone listening to this lives in Europe, the race is actually happening. Um, I don't think Americans can get over there at this point, but it's called Adamello ultra trail. So it was a little over a hundred miles. It had 39,000 feet of climbing it was through oh, wow. the, uh, kind of through the Italian Alps near, um, if you're a cyclist, you might know where or watch the Giro d'Italia. It's near like Stelvio pass, um, but pretty far North in in Italy and just uh, kind of, when I did it, at least it was very different than running something like UTMB, uh, pretty, there's some good runners, but pretty low key. I ended up running the last 40 miles or so completely by myself. It was, it was a pretty amazing experience. Wow. That's awesome. What made you pick that race rather than a race in the United States? I, a lot of it was, was lining up with vacation, just talking to my wife and we were thinking of going over to, to Europe for a vacation. And I of course threw it out there. If she would mind if I did a race while we were over there and <laughs> awesome. she said that would be okay. As long as uh, we had a week or a week or two after the race to enjoy ourselves. I don't think she understood how completely tired I would be after running a hundred miler, <laughs> but yep. that's okay. It worked out. So uh, I, so I found a, a race that, that fit in the calendar uh, with, with work and went over and did it. It was pretty funny because uh, there, there were a couple of good runners in this race, but this is not a well-known race. So there, there's Franco Calle won the race. He's kind of the Italian Killian. He's, he's super successful. He's done well at Tour Giant and TDS. And, and then uh, the guy in front of me who I ran with quite a bit is uh, he just set the 24 hour vertical record. He's, he's a Luca Manfredi. He's a great runner too, but I was running with Luca a long time. And the first thing he said to me was, why are you here? <laughs> Like, why would an American come run this race? Cause it's, cause it is so small, but it was, okay. it was absolutely amazing. I think, you know, a lot of Americans want to do hard rock for, for good reason. Right. But, but this race was, 
you know, it wasn't crowded like UTMB. It was absolutely beautiful. It was just like running from hut to hut. You would run over Mountain Pass, come down, get some soup, and and repeat until you were done. It was it was quite the experience. So anyone holding up for Hard Rock, I would highly suggest heading over <laughs> and, and doing a doing that race or or another you know lower key European option. I'm curious, is it uh, a point to point race or is it a, a loop course? And how many people were running this this race? Yeah, it was a big loop course. I think there were i i can't remember there, there were maybe 100 people oh wow i think okay there's a lot more because it's act because it's very late in the calendar it's late september so okay. it's probably one of the few races that is happening under their guidelines um and yeah it, it was it was absolutely amazing it was a really aesthetic line there wasn't any real deviations just to grab mileage or anything like that it was just a just a loop through the through the alps gotcha cool man um if you wouldn't mind um going back a little bit i know we're not doing this really very (laughs) sequentially we're kind of all over the place but uh going back to your youth um you mentioned boarding school and uh professional cycling from age 15 to 19 and drugs and alcohol um, tell us, uh, about, um, your early years and how it all started. Yeah. So I, I did, I was, I was a really good kid when I was young until, until about middle school. And then when I smoked weed for the first time, something caught in my brain and it, it, it loved it and latched onto it. And it was, it was what it wanted. I was, it was again, good kid probably too much stress on me to, to get good grades. You know, I always got always brought home A's on the report card, but something in my brain just latched on there and, and it did, it did change things for me quite a bit. Did you live in a strict household? Uh, it was a pretty, it was a pretty strict household. Both my parents okay. are, are pretty intense in their own right. And I, so I, I ended up getting, you know, getting in some trouble and, and it a lot of depression and anxiety and all that just came along with, with the drug use. And, um, it was, it was pretty intense, uh, from, from when I started. So I did end up, uh, going into, to rehab at a young age and oh, wow. didn't seem to didn't really stick for me. I think it, a, a saying that'll get thrown around in, in those circles is that impatient or, or AA will, will ruin your using. And I, and at that time it, it did, but it, it didn't, it didn't stick for me. And yeah. once I, for, for me, getting into cycling was my saving grace. Like I think having something for my brain, to switch on to at that young age really, mm-hmm. really made all the difference. And so I, I wasn't a professional cyclist at 15. Like I was, that was like my, my goal as I got older. Right. Um, okay. But so that really, really did made the switch for me. I, I went to boarding school. I was kind of an aftercare after um, an inpatient that, that I was mm-hmm. at, but, but cycling did make a, a big change for me and my parents were really supportive of it despite it 
being expensive and me almost knocking all the teeth out of my head from all the crashes. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, it did kind of get me back into, into a good place. Although I wasn't addressing some other issues that had popped up or mm-hmm. some of the, the underlying demons and and uh psychological psychiatric factors that were leading to some of my struggles so when i was at a pretty young age like at when i was you know sober during my stint at at boarding school and rehab i did develop an, an eating disorder which is a little more uncommon in men but you know it's more of a it obviously manifests as wanting to be thin, but it's mm-hmm. more of a control and control, yeah. control issue. And, and it's really close to psychosis. It's really similar to, to OCD in a lot of ways. It's, it's very, very obsessive and, and can certainly be uh you know, just a reaction to, to other things going on in your life. So that was something that, that was still, that, you know, that, that came up and, and is something that I'll always, that I'll always battle with. Um, but it was really, really intense for, for the next decade or so. And mm. when I was racing and, and doing well, it, it subsided and, and it was easy to deal with. But, but when my back injury, you know, really came along, that that started to take more of the forefront and that was that was certainly the lowest the lowest period of my life was you know because of the injury but then also because my that that eating disorder just completely took over my life it was certainly the the closest i've come to to ending my life and and yeah it was it was a pretty dark time wow <clears throat> so how old were you when you uh entered rehab so that first time I was probably, four, yeah, 14. 14, no kidding. Okay. I'm that time, yeah. Yep. And um, I'm someone who's in recovery. Uh, are you still uh, in, re- consider yourself in recovery? Do you still attend meetings or is that something that's kind of behind you now? So, yeah, so this is a complicated topic. Uh, I do, I do drink alcohol. Um, okay. And I certainly have thoughts about if that's proper or not, given my, my tendencies and propensities over, over the years, but sure. I, if you can manage it it, it, at this point and certainly over the last seven years or so, it, it, it hasn't caused any detriment to my life and is something that, that I am able to interact with in what I, I would call a normal and healthy way. But I mm-hmm. think that it's, that that is a, um, something that I, that I do wrestle with and, and I certainly don't, wouldn't like defend, <laughs> wouldn't defend my decision too strongly because, um, because I, 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 th- I think it's complicated and it's hard to know exactly, um, you know, what the, what the right course of action is there. But for me that, yeah. that over the last 
15 years or so, definitely the, the eating disorder has been more of the, the thing that I've had to truly overcome, I guess. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, um, I mean, yeah, if you can, if you can manage it, uh, God bless you. I mean, uh, that's, that's great. I mean, of course, a lot of the old timers in, in the recovery program would, uh, not suggest something like that, but it sounds like you're at a place where it's not really unhealthy. And then, uh, you just kind of moved on to the eating disorder. So what, um, what I would say with, yeah, is that I would not suggest that anyone that is struggling with drugs and alcohol um, should not follow that, um, <laughs> should not follow that advice. And I was, you know, sober for, for a long period of time. And it's not that I had some, some relapse that, um, and then started, started using again. It, it's just kind of the way that my recovery has evolved. And, and I think from, for, for, millions and millions of people the the 12 step process is is what works and what what keeps people healthy i think for me i ended up having a little bit of a different track um in large part because of my battle with with an eating disorder um i think that i think Mm -hmm. that did change things a little bit but yeah yeah no i get it and then so I'm I'm just picturing like a professional cyclist, especially someone who cycles in the mountains, they probably want to be lightweight, right? Like the lighter you are, yeah. the faster you can usually travel. Was that part of the eating disorder or is that how it started? Or what did your eating disorder look like? Uh, yeah, so it's funny. It's a lot easier for me to talk about uh, <laughs> addiction than, than my, than my ed so without a doubt cycling perpetuated that and and kept that going and and made it seem healthy and normal i think it is extremely endemic within the cycling community Mm -hmm. it's if you have you read the secret race by tyler hamilton no i haven't uh to highly suggest it's a great read so okay that he he talks about his drug use and um, you know his performance enhancing drug use and all that and and it's it's really fascinating. But one of the things he talks about is his obsession with becoming lightweight and going for six hour bike rides, coming back and chugging seltzer water so that he could be as skinny as possible and mm-hmm. his skin being like translucent and being able to to see the veins and muscles pulse you know immediately below the the skin layer sure so it was it was absolutely endemic I, in cycling being thin is correlated with being fit the two are are not seen as being different so many cyclists really really try to lose weight in in any way possible and even though you know in this kind of more woke modern age where you know you have Mary Kane speaking out and different runners speaking out about their relationship with college coaches or professional coaches and, and how terrible that is in the cycling world. I, I don't really see that being B 
being dealt with. I was listening to a podcast the other day where the host, who's a good, good writer and certainly tries his best to be woke, was interviewing an individual who has struggled with, struggled with some disordered eating and was speaking out about it. This, this woman referenced a coach that was making her lose weight and, and that it was uh, detrimental to her mental health and that she got slower and wasn't menstruating and, and that it was, it was a big mess. Mm-hmm. Amidst this conversation, the way the, the host is talking is that like, yeah, yeah, that's bad and all, but as cyclists, we really still have to worry about our power to weight ratio and try to be as skinny as possible so that we can put out these Watts. And I just think that's, it's a really dangerous slippery slope because i do i've known quite a few cyclists who have um you know either developed disordered eating patterns or or eating disorders or just flat out ruin their careers because they didn't eat enough food and Mm -hmm. that that definitely was it, it did not help it was not the root cause um or what made me, you know, manifest my, my ED, but it, it definitely contributed to it. And, okay. and I think that it's, it's definitely has a, a sociological aspect to it as well. You see it with female cross country and track programs where if the coach or some of the athletes have eating disorders, it can kind of spread through the team like wildfire. Um, mm-hmm. As far as what mine, mine looked like, I essentially starved myself for, a long period of time. And when, before I got into, when I was like in boarding school and stuff, and before I got into, um, before I got into cycling, it was, it was, it was really bad. It was, it was atrocious. Once I, once I got into cycling, it was, it was better because I was thinking about performance and, you know, just kind of like exercise bulimia where you eat, you know, I wasn't binging at that point, but you eat food and then, you know, you're gonna, you know, you're, analytical brain knows how many calories you're going to burn off later so it was a much healthier although still twisted um reality when i was when i was racing and then once the back injury kind of came in i i began to enter the the worst period of my life which is where it it did become essentially exercise bulimia and as bad anorexia is terrible it actually has the highest mortality rate of any mental health disorder for, for several reasons, but from a mental health standpoint, that exercise bulimia was, was absolutely terrible. I, I, I felt completely out of control and my day was, was taken up by eating and exercising and my back was bad. So it would hurt when I would exercise. It was, it was not, it was, it was not great. And um, yeah. And I, it's, it's obviously, it's bizarre talking about it to strangers because it's, it's not something I really talked about with anyone until, until not too long ago. I, I did this 24 hour ski event, uh, I guess a year and a half ago. And before that, you know, some, some friends knew my family knew my wife knew, but not, it wasn't something that, that many people knew about knew about me sure. at all it's definitely it's something that's i don't know for whatever reason more uncomfortable to admit than any struggles with 
with drugs or alcohol mm-hmm. and depression. So mm-hmm. it's certainly certainly something that has been a, a burden on my on my soul for quite some time. Yeah, well, I'm sure that there's other people that are struggling with the same thing, and I'm sure that you know you have the opportunity to at least to either help them or you know just sort of present where you're coming from and and maybe offer them some sort of a, a glimmer of hope. Yeah. Um, for me, the biggest thing was, you know, I was seeking treatment. So I did, I did an outpatient treatment program and that, and, and, and just became open, open about it. And it wasn't necessarily about the food and about the body image. It was, it was about being okay with myself, but I think a lot of everyone's eating disorder and everyone's path through their eating disorder looks different. Um, my, my wife is actually a, uh, a, a, dietitian she she has this and she mostly focuses on sports nutrition but she ends up dealing with with a lot of eating disorder Mm -hmm. patients and 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 so much she won't take on anyone unless they have unless they have a therapist and that i think that is definitely the the big step is just is just seeking help for it because otherwise you live in secret you live in shame and and similar to drug addiction, alcoholism, it just festers and, and, and keeps getting worse. It doesn't, it doesn't get better on its own. Mm. And I'm curious, was there like a rock bottom moment that sent you to this outpatient uh, treatment program? Or was it just a, like, maybe like a higher bottom and just an accumulation of things that had happened that sent you there? I don't think there was there was really one moment that that sent me there, but it was it was a pretty just it was it was just a rock bottom year, I suppose that sure. sent me there. You know, I mean, I'll never forget my roommate at the time. You know, just sat me down. I don't think he, I don't know if he knew I had an eating issue or what, but he knew I had something going on. And he sat me down and told me that that I needed to get help because he did not want to find me, you know, at the bottom of, of, a, of a ditch dead someday. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so you don't think that he knew that you had an eating disorder. He just knew something was wrong. Yeah. I've never talked to it. He, he, he's a good friend, but that's not at the time, at least we didn't really, he wasn't someone that I talked about emotions or or my struggles with sure. um yep. Yep. he's a very very smart individual but we just didn't necessarily go down those those paths so i've, I've i should really i should ask him i was just talking to him there yeah. yeah um i think it's yeah. something that i i think that's something that people don't usually expect out of men um it's certainly more common in the female in the female population so for sure yeah wow Unreal, man. So, um, that deep fast. So then, went to the deep end. <laughs> no, that's okay, man. I mean, this, you know, this is interesting, and I'm sure that there's people that can relate. And it's, you know, it. This story is leading up to to your Nolan's uh, attempt, and so I'm interested. But um, before we get there, so I'm guessing you sought some sort of psychiatric treatment, and I'm curious. Um, did you have like some some underlying issues from your past that had led you to addiction and an eating disorder, or were you able to really nail any of that down? I mean, you don't have to get personal if you don't want to, but 
I think it's already uh, gotten pretty personal. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think for me, a lot of it, I, you know, so was, was psychology and, and working with a therapist and being okay with myself. And it's something that I will always struggle with, but I, I definitely mm-hmm. assume that other people don't like me, that I'm not enough, that I'm mm-hmm. not worthy. And that has been the, that, that self-esteem issue has been the main thing uh, that I, that I've worked on that has then improved other areas of my life. So just that, that, you know, the kind of a deep unsettled angst has started to, has started to, to dissipate. And I've started to worry less about how others see me and, and, and been more okay with, with myself. And I, I will never forget the, the first exercise that my therapist, that that therapist, the, that the, the eating disorder clinic gave me had nothing to do with food, nothing to do with sorting out deep issues with my parents. It was just to not say anything bad about anyone else. Because at that time mm. I would, I would be so judgmental of other people my friend, some of my friends were, were wicked smart and, and, and very accomplished individuals. And we would just, we would kind of rip other people apart. You know, we were young 20 year old men and, and, and just were, were kind of ruthless. And mm-hmm. that was my task was just to, to not say anything mean about anyone else. And that mm. one thing really helps me not then turn that voice back onto myself. Um, so that, wow. you know, it was just one step in the process, but that, that's, that's something I still think about to this day. And I'm not perfect. I still talk shit. I'm not great. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an imperfect person. Um, but that's something that I'll, that I'll always be working towards. And, and it's good. Wow. to remember. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's progress, not perfection. You know, as long as you got your head down and you're, you're doing your best at uh, working towards some sort of self-improvement, um, you know, that's half the battle. Uh, we're never going to be perfect. Yeah. So hats off to you, man. That's pretty awesome. So um, then you ended up with the back injuries. So you've been through some struggles, man. Um, you've had some dark times, it sounds like. So, yeah. you know, alcohol drugs and alcohol leading to an eating disorder and then um you know the big back injuries and uh it sounds like it's been kind of an uphill battle for you yeah i mean a lot some of those battles were were self-made but it definitely hasn't been hasn't been easy um but you know i mean i was born in a good family and and had financial means. So, so things certainly could have, could have been a lot worse. And, and I am you know yeah. grateful for the position I was, I was born into. And that's something that I do think about because, you know, if I'd been a, a different race or from a different socioeconomic background, I, I don't know that I could have, could have battled through that in the way that I, in the way that I did. That's true. Isn't that crazy? I think about the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, good for you, man. Um, 
And uh, so, so the last few years you've been doing a lot of running. Do you ever um, think about cycling? Do you ever think about going back to cycling or is it something that you still do from time to time? Yeah, I actually still mountain bike quite a bit. So like after that first, I didn't really mountain bike race much growing up. So despite being a pretty good road cyclist, I am, uh, I would say pretty mediocre overall as a mountain biker. I can do okay in the climbs, but anything technical, I, I struggle. Um, I, I, I did do some mountain bike racing and still dabble in it from time to time. I, I would like to do more of it, but like last year I got a new to me mountain bike and then I signed up for a hundred miler and, and ran a lot. And then this year I decided to do Nolan. So I, I, again, ran a lot. Um, I, I, I spent a lot of time doing ski mountaineering and mm-hmm. did oh. the Nordic racing as well. So okay. my winters have mostly been taken up by ski mountaineering, but racing and, and then doing more, more running and some, some mountain biking in the, in the summer. Okay. Um, I've never really done any ski mountaineering. It's something I've always kind of played around with, you know, the idea of, but just based on what I've seen, everybody who's into ski mountaineering has like another gear that I can't quite match. (laughs) And I'm guessing it's from that ski mountaineering. Um, you know, I mean, I train year round of course, but, um, would you attribute a lot of your fitness to that ski mountaineering? This is something that I will, that I debate all the time. So okay. I, I do think that sports like ski mountaineering and Nordic skiing and cycling allow you to train the aerobic system in a way that running can't. So, mm. so for example, I'll stick to schemo here. Like for example, with schemo, uh, I can go out and do back-to-back races. I can do back-to-back interval sessions back-to-back really really hard long days so when i i was training for this 24-hour vertical record and my biggest days i did back-to-back twenty thousand foot days which there's no way i could do that running but Mm. for me you know a back-to-back you know ten thousand two ten thousand foot days would be would be very large for me and very massive and I would need some probably need some recovery after that. Definitely. So you can and then also just on the intensity side of things. So, you know, I can do VO two and threshold work and then still do threshold work the next day with ski mountaineering, whereas with running, if you're doing that hard, intense work because of the pounding and the eccentric load, you you really end up needing you know, one or two recovery days after that before you can really go hard again. So I do think it allows you to train that cardiovascular system in a different way. Um, gotcha. the, the one thing that has been tough is if you're in this year, I actually ran a lot during the winter and then all my races got canceled because of COVID, but, yep. <laughs> but I did run a lot. Whereas in the past, I've really just done schemo and I have every intention to keep running, but I get into the sport and just ski every day. And then come spring, I try to run again and I have all this fitness, but my connective tissue and, and whatnot is, is really weak. And I get injured and, and end up limping around the whole, the whole summer, just trying to get my volume up. So I do think it can be a very, very powerful tool, but if, if running is your goal, I think you should, it should be somewhat 
ancillary or you should, you know, keep some running in the mix, I guess. Definitely. Um, and, uh, if I understand right, you, uh, manage a running store in Carbondale. Yeah. Yeah. Independence Ryan hike. Cool. I've managed a couple running shoe, uh, uh, stores myself. So, um, which ones? Well, I, I worked at one back in Wisconsin. Uh, it was called all season runner. And then I worked out here at, uh, um, BRC as well. Oh, cool. When, so good boulder running company. Uh, let's see. It was eight years ago, I guess, when I first moved to Colorado and I worked at the Littleton store. Okay. So were you with Amanda? Yeah. Or was, was I what? Amanda? I'm sorry. Were you with Amanda or was that after Amanda left? Nope. I was there with Amanda. Okay. Yeah. She okay. was the manager there. Yeah. So I was at Boulder Running Company in Boulder. Oh, no kidding. So, so I probably talked to you on the phone a couple of times. So I was still there. Yeah. With Greg Wyke and yeah, I was the good old days. So I was, I was there eight years ago. Cool. <laughs> well, um, so I'm curious then what sort of shoes do you wear? So I work with Dinafit. So I do wear, I try to, but I mostly wear Dinafit shoes like for Zofra Nolan. Did a lot of, um, I, I mostly use the, the Alpine Pro, um, but I do, mm-hmm. I do test a lot of shoes out too. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, for sure. I know when I worked at those places, I just had closets full of shoes. It was pretty awesome. And then now that I haven't worked at a, a running shoe store for, a good six or seven years i'm almost through all those shoes so <laughs> i kind of miss those days hey i remember when we, we moved to crested butte after uh we lived in boulder and i don't think i had to buy a pair of shoes for two years after working at boulder running company I had, <laughs> you know so many saved up from uh, mostly i think just the warrantied pairs <laughs> more than yeah yeah oh man i miss those days um so Leading up to Nolan's, um, I'm curious about your scouting and if you did, if you were out there scouting or how much scouting you did and, and how long that took and sort of what that looked like as well. So I was out there scouting. I don't think I did enough, but I, I have a job and a wife and you can only, you can only get over there so much. My wife is very patient. Cool. I'll say that, but you know, we wanted to go to the San Juans and had, had some other things on the agenda too. So I, I, I was able to get over and scout quite a bit, but, but I did miss some, some lines that I would have liked to see that I think could have shaved a little time off or made things a little, a little less heinous for me. So I probably the stupidest thing I did was that I didn't scout either of the descents. Well, either of the like trickier sections that I would be doing in the dark. So I ended up doing Princeton in the dark and I I did not, I had done, I'd gone out of Alpine up to the Ridge. I hadn't actually gone all the way to the peak because I ran out of time that day, did Entero first, but I I had not scouted that North side descent, which was probably pretty dumb. So my friend Casey and I uh, stumbled through that massive, pile of crumbling rock in the dark yes <laughs> and then this is on the way down to Princeton is that what you said yeah yeah so I didn't scout okay that. Gotcha. and okay according to our my friend Kevin we took a bad line off there I'm not I'm not sure because I haven't done another line but it, okay. from what I've heard there's no great way getting <laughs> off that mountain 
Uh, oh my gosh. No, that is my nemesis right there. I've been up and down every cruddy, crappy way on, on Princeton. So I should have reached out um, before and asked which way I should go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we made it down the trail. Yeah, we made it down. I was, I was happy I found that trail because I, I, I didn't, I knew there was kind of a trail in there, a little like old Jeep road, but I'd, I wasn't expecting to find it. I was expecting to crash through the woods there for a while, but we found it right away, which I was, so that, that I was happy with that. And then okay, cool. the other one, uh, so I didn't, I also, I didn't scout Yale and I, I think it's faster either to go up the gut or kind of go up that, that ridge line that a lot of folks have been taking. But my friend, Kevin, again, was just like, just go up, just go up avalanche. It'll be fine. It'll be fast. And, I, I didn't look at the split difference, but I, I'm pretty sure I lost some time going up Avalanche because it's just out of the way. But I, it was it was nice, easy trail, and yeah, it is what it is. It's fine. Um, and then, so wait, you went up Avalanche from Avalanche to up the Colorado Trail up to the Red Line. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so kind of the longer way. I mean, I do think sometimes being on trail is faster then oh yeah off trail just peace of mind yeah if it's for longer. sure but but i think in that case like i hadn't done yale from avalanche before i you know i've just done denny creek a couple times and when i okay I just remember like getting up on the ridge and then like looking down at me like holy crap that looks a hell of a lot faster so anyways <laughs> it's all good yeah. um cool. what I, I wish i would have done the back side of la plata i've done the the front mm-hmm. side of it a ton of times uh, the main trail and I again I meant to do it one day and there's bad weather so I, I didn't pop over the other side and I ended up doing that at night and not that it's super technical or difficult or anything but I just had it was my second night and that was my big low where the world was mm-hmm. crashing down on me and I thought I was gonna have to drop and I just think having scouted that would have put me at ease a little bit because it just I didn't think it was going to be that long and it, 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 it was a longer kind of, it was longer mileage wise than I thought it was going to be. And uh, the descent coming down from La Plata, uh, the climb up going. So just, oh, the climb up, the going up, okay. uh, you know, the, the South side. I, Oh yeah. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. It's pretty long. And I, I just thought it was like short and, straightforward and it is straightforward but whatever it that mountain was my low point and i should have scouted that because i was doing it in the dark and then actually coming down the other side i had heard of people getting lost on coming down that you know main trail on the plata and i'd always thought how does that happen it's a trail i'm sure everyone's done it a couple times I, i just it baffled me that people got lost there and then coming down there I just about got lost. I was, I was befuddled. My, my brain was a wreck. I tried to sleep on the summit of the Plata. It was, I was, I was not in a good space and it's just a big pile of rocks. And I pulled out my phone a bunch of times and was trying to figure out where the, you know, where the hell to go. And I, I made it down fine, but it was, it was definitely uh it was an experience. It was nice to have a, a low point by myself out there, I suppose it was, it was good, to have, good to have something to battle through. It wouldn't feel proper if I didn't have some low point on the trail where I was sitting down crying to myself. 
<laughs> for sure. You got to have that in a story. Otherwise the story's no good, man. Exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. So did, did you say you went over Princeton in the dark? I did. Yeah. So I started because of weather and work, I ended up starting in the evening, which I think, Oh, okay. I, so like Joey started at midnight, right. And mm-hmm. then Alex yep. started in the evening. And I think there's a lot to that because you get that first night when you're not that tired. Um, right. I didn't have time to sleep during the day cause I was like getting stuff ready and driving over. So I didn't, uh, so, you know, it'd been a while since so I slept at the end, but I, I think it worked out pretty well just because that first night you're really not tired. Um, sure. Yeah. I wanted to start in the daylight where, cause I could have started later, I guess, and really tried to sleep, but I just wanted to start with a little daylight. So I got a little stoke and excitement and got to see the sunset. Um, I actually had a, a beautiful sunset on, on Intero. There were a map. There was a big herd of mountain goats scampering across that ridge line going at that oh, cool. arrow and they were just silhouetted by the setting sun it was beautiful wow so what time did you actually start Five eleven. <laughs> it was going to be at five but my garmin inreach wasn't it had accidentally turned itself it got turned on in my bag so i was charging my car i was charging it with the car on and so and it still died on going up Albert of course <laughs> I think my uh, which was terrible because I think my dad thought I died but <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, and um, so you uh, did it supported as well so how many how many people did you have out there as crew and did you have pacers the whole way or how did that go uh, I ended up having more pacers than I initially planned because I was reaching out to people and and some weren't responding so then I kept reaching out to more because I was freaked out that I wasn't going to have anyone uh, uh, so I had, I had pacers on, um, let's see, Princeton, a little bit of Yale at my buddy, Matt, uh, so a little bit of Yale and then Harvard, Columbia, Oxford, and then Missouri here on, and then, yeah, so most of the way, and then massive and, in Albert. So I wasn't planning on having pacers through like some of those sections, but, but I was grateful to have some have some friends out there and then absolutely my crew it was going it was mostly going to be my loving obsessive dedicated wife who was willing to go a couple nights without sleep but my dad was going to come out um he calls me the day before he's supposed to drive out or maybe the day of and tells me that his partner so his partner has just tested positive for COVID. She was, she got tested because her granddaughter was just born and she wanted to be cautious before she went to see her and grandson, sorry. I wanted to be cautious before she went to see him and tested positive. She hadn't been sick or anything. So of course my, my dad couldn't come out because of, you know, because he'd been with her and we needed to be, needed to be cautious so that put a big wrench in the mm-hmm. plan so my mom was going mm-hmm. to come out so we asked her to help a bit but when we were she was going to drive out to the Chavano trailhead with my stepdad and my stepdad just took a bad spill off his bike 
and unfortunately fractured a vertebrae in his upper thoracic. So he's in a neck brace and driving out that road, realized that they couldn't drive on bumpy roads. So driving out the start line, I'm actually like on my phone trying and like talking with my wife, Kylie, to try to figure out (laughs) the logistics of readjusting crew spots because they can't be there because of his, his neck. So, um, overall, I think supported is easier than unsupported, but it would be really nice to not have to deal with the the logistics. I will say. Sure. (laughs) Um, So yeah. So then that was my main crew. And then our, our friends, Jackson Bassett came out, uh, and helped, helped the crew quite a bit. They brought me an amazing, amazing bacon sandwich at, at Winfield that, I, I devoured it. Was, it was the best best sandwich ever. Um, yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, do you normally have stomach problems or anything like that while you're running long distances or at altitude? I tend to have a pretty good stomach, so overall, it held up. It held up uh, pretty great. I had a couple a couple little moments. That bacon sandwich I ate was an entire subway foot long, and that was probably a little aggressive. <laughs> so limping out of. You know, <laughs> I was feeling my stomach a little bit and I felt good enough to jog, but I, I was kind of reduced to a walk because I, I wanted to make sure I didn't yak all over my shoes, but <laughs> probably a good idea. For the most part, my, <laughs> I found that my stomach holds up pretty well and in longer okay. events, I need to knock on some wood so I don't puke next time, but um, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Um, and then I'm guessing you had, uh, GPX files that you were following while you're out there as well. Yeah. So I did, I did have CalTOPO, which was, which was pretty useful, especially, especially coming down Princeton. <laughs> that was probably the, the main place. I, the main place I had to use that outside of that. I felt I knew, I, I knew enough of the route that I didn't really feel like I had to use it too much, but. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm curious which way you went up from Missouri. Did you take the ridge or did you uh, cut west and, and skirt around that ridge and then up to the summit of, of So I dropped down kind of like I, I which is what I had planned to do. Uh, I okay. had been on part of that ridge when I was younger and I just remember it being heinous. Uh, I, I read Joey's, you know, trip report. I haven't listened to your guys' interview yet, but I did. I read his, I read his trip report and kudos to him for being able to smash that and, and take time on everyone else. Uh, I would, even if I had planned on doing it, I wouldn't have done it when we were up there. So when, when I was coming up Oxford and crested, you could see these dark clouds starting to form. And Mm. as we got to the top, so I was with my pacer friend, Andrew Leatherby, who, I don't know if you know, Andrew, he's total badass Australian. He's run like a two eleven marathon. He's nicest most humble guy ever he'll tell you how awesome you are and never admit to what what a great athlete he is anyways he's super positive he's like oh it'll be fine mate no worries and as soon as we crest the summit it starts grappling the size of quarters golf balls and lightnings cracking off i am absolutely petrified of lightning i hate lightning I am freaking out and my, my poles and there's like the metal at the attachment points are buzzing. And Oh, wow. So we, you know, we, I'm I'm like, I don't care about the effort anymore. I don't care. I just want to like run down, screw it. Like 
whatever. Like, we'll wait an hour. Like, I'll finish the thing. It's fine. Who cares? And he's like, no, mate, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. So he kind of calmly goes down the trail. And I, like, run down and around. I'm, I'm running with, like, a chicken with my head cut off. And eventually we hide out for a while below or not below, like, next to some big rocks. I have no idea if that's what you're supposed to do in a lightning storm, but it seems like you should get below something. Uh, I guess don't. <laughs> but there's really no trees or anything out there. You're up above Timberline the whole time, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it's on Oxford. And, you know, you can go down a ways, but it's a long ways to tree line. And then either direction, mm-hmm. you're, you're staying on the ridge. So eventually it seems like it kind of passes. So we start going over to, towards Belford. And then it kind of comes in again a little bit and we hide out on this, this rock outcropping going out towards Belford. And eventually he's just like, mate, I'm going. I'm like, all right, I'll go too. So we, we make our way up towards Belford and, and luckily the skies start to clear. And so I was swapping off there cool. with, um, with my friend Joe and we were there, there's more storm clouds, they were pretty dark and menacing and seemed like they were coming our way from, uh, from Massive and Elbert. So we, you know, we headed off towards Elkhead pass, but seeing those storms, I, I wouldn't have done the, the Ridge regardless just because of that. But I, I also hadn't scouted that out and I'm sure I would, it would take me quite a, quite a bit longer to do that than, than just dropping down into the, into the basin heading up. Sure. Yeah. Um, how worried were you when those storms came in and, you know, would you have continued or, or bailed out had you not been with a pacer or, you know, how scary was it while you were out there? For me, it's pretty freaky. I, I, it's not like, it's not the worst storm I've been in. So mm-hmm. I think probably what I would have done is, is drop down a little further, back down a little further than I did if I was by myself you know, maybe like drop 500 feet down, maybe not 500, like 300 feet down off Oxford a little bit into kind of some rocks, just so I felt a little bit lower and yeah. and then continued on. Um, but I do think that is mm-hmm. certainly an advantage of having, of having pacers and having friends around just to kind of steady your hand in that map and, mm-hmm. and, and remind you that, that it's going to pass. I just had a friend that was doing the, the elk link up in around oh, here yeah. and you know the, yep. the 14 ers around the elks which are certainly more exposed than what you in technical than what you have in the sawwatch and he ended up bailing as he was heading up towards the bells traverse because of because of storms and i think it was the right call mm-hmm. you know i, I don't know mm-hmm. they would really want to do the bells traverse in wet conditions like even if the storms passed i don't, I don't know you want Great. Oh yeah, definitely. But not. yeah, that. Be, but that being said, uh, and I'm not like I'm not questioning his decision and saying he made the right one or the wrong one. But when you're mm-hmm. on your own, you're just. I think that those anxieties really build in your head when you don't have that friend to diffuse the situation with. So, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like you didn't do a, t- a ton of scouting. <laughs> I mean, you had scouted bit, bits and pieces of it and you had a GPX file to kind of follow along. But um, 
you know, I've spent a ton of time out there scouting and I, and I've always said you can spend years out there scouting and still make little tweaks to the route and, and cut off little sections here and there. But, um, and you still went out and killed it, man. I mean, uh, gosh, it's just 46 hours is insane to me. Like, so when you started, did you have a time goal in mind and, um, or were you following somebody's splits or were you trying to beat Joey's time or what were your thoughts going into this? I really had no illusions that I was going to beat Joey's time. I, I just, I have so much respect for that especially having done it now, <laughs> have so much respect. For no for kidding. No kidding. I, I do think, you know, some of that is, is cause he's a ski mountaineer and he's good at going up steep stuff, you know, and, and it's that type of fitness. It's, mm-hmm. that's kind of a different fitness than mm-hmm. running on a lot of the terrain that our races are on. And I think a lot of it is, it yep. seems like he's just really good in, in Choss, he's really good in, in just bad terrain and just moving quick through it. Um, and he, yep. and that he really projected that thing in a way that, that no one else has, you know, I think the other fast times, like Alex has spent some time on that. I assume just from the people he knows and just being in Colorado for a while, he fast packed the route, but I do not think he really projected that. And I even, I, I looked at some of the lines he took and they, they didn't seem the fastest or the most sensible to me. And, and I adjusted on that. And then the other one was, was Iker is Iker Carrera. Is that how you say his name? Yes. Uh, who's a total beast. And I don't really, mm-hmm. I have no idea how much he was paced or how much he projected that route, but it seemed like he might've, from what a little bit, I know he might've just, kind of onside of the thing do you know anything about that yeah yeah no i don't know for sure but that's kind of the sense that i got from it too like he was just following a track and he was just here and just went out and just had a, a magical couple days yeah, but i haven't talked to him personally so i'm not 100 percent. the sure. one confusing thing i guess sorry i'm getting off topic here but one confusing thing it took him a long i, I just looked at this the other day it took him what four hours to get off a of massive I'm, I'm not sure what happened there he yeah i think he double summoned it or, or something okay. like that he i think he was up there like 30 minutes faster than i was wow. and then got down okay. you know a couple hours like two hours slower than i did so it took him a long i don't know i mean the first time i came off massive i did not find the highline trail and it was just bushwhacking forever so maybe he just like ended up over on turquoise lake that was kind of my thought um but back okay. to my splits and stuff i guess I, I, I wasn't, I, I knew what Joey's splits were and kind of had some of those in my head just in case. Um, cause I am competitive, but I based my crew times off of Alex's splits and that actually, I'm really happy and grateful that worked out. Cause it just made him, it made it really easy for them. I ended up basically being kind of right on his, his splits all day. Um, with within okay. 30 minutes or so, which just made it a hell of a lot easier for my, for my crew. They weren't really sitting around waiting very much. And, um, that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So it was pretty much on splits all day. I fell quite a bit behind on the Plata with my big low. And then I think I just ended up going pretty fast on going up Albert with, uh, with the coming of the sun and, and maybe a, a one minute nap in the back of my Tacoma. And, 
Mm. And I wasn't really thinking about like splits or times or going fast. Um, really from here on on because I just maybe even a little bit before that just because I was just kind of tired and it seemed like my legs are blown I didn't think I was going to be able to to go fast enough downhill to to put in a good fast a good time uh, okay. but at the top of Albert I kind of realized that I'd made a lot of time up and and then from there I did I did start thinking about trying to trying to move fast purposely to 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 put in a decent time um, but before that for the you know the previous 15 hours or so i had just kind of been just just trying to get through the thing for sure yeah um have you run with alex before or why did you pick his splits to kind of follow along with it was what i had <laughs> um, uh, okay. I, I i think alex is you know is a more certainly has better results and more talented runner than, than me but i don't think we're we're massively different in our in our fitness levels and that i think our scouting of the route was probably somewhat similar so it seemed to it seemed to make sense but you know i had in my in my like pace chart like this is what i'm hoping to do i could be four hours slower so <laughs> i'm trying to you know warm my pacers and, and crew that that it could be a heck of a lot slower i i i, I was hoping yeah. to get under 50 like 50 hours sounded great um under two days had a really nice ring to it um so that 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 was kind of more where my that was more where my head was just trying to finish the thing treat it like an adventure see if my body can hold up to the demands of the effort as opposed to to really trying to go out and smash it i i am competitive and definitely was looking at my splits for for the beginning part but um, but my mindset going into it was was certainly more that that this is going to be an adventure and, and and not a race. Yeah, yeah, wow. Um, and you didn't get very much sleep. It sounds like you sound slept like a minute or something in, in your Tacoma, and, and was that it? Yeah, I tried to sleep on top of La Plata, which was you know uh-huh. three in the morning, which was not smart. I got really cold very fast. And then did you set an alarm or anything? Sorry. Did you set an alarm or anything when you went to sleep on La Plata? I didn't even need to because I, I I laid down and two minutes later I was up. So <laughs> it was just too cold. Okay. And yep. coming down La Plata, I was I was I was pretty sure I was gonna have I was pretty sure I was gonna have to drop because it my legs were my quads were hurting walking at that point. It was, it was the most discomfort yeah. like, my life, my legs have been in. It was the longest thing I'd done time wise. For sure. So, yeah. but it had already been a while. I already knew it was a, it was a long effort and my legs were going to be done. So I might as well try to finish the thing off. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I got into the truck kind of with that ambivalent feeling around if I was going to drop or not and try to sleep and maybe flutter my eyes for a minute or two, but kind of realized I wasn't really going to be able to get much quality sleep. So I just kind of crawled back out and, and ate a sandwich and kept on going. Yeah. I mean, and you still had what, 20, 25 miles to go. Albert and massive are, are, you know, pretty big mountains with a lot of mileage in there. So it's not like you had it wrapped up or it wasn't in the bag at that point. 
Yeah, I definitely did not feel like it was it was in the bag with how absolutely <laughs> terrible my my legs were feeling. But um, and and it is it is funny because I think having splits and and times in your head and and whatnot can be very detrimental, but they can also be very powerful if you happen to end up on on kind of the right side of them or they might help to put things into context because I felt like I was moving at a snail's pace going up the plot of my Achilles was hurting. Everything was hurting and not the plot. Sorry. Going up Albert. I, I absolutely felt terrible, but then we got mm-hmm. up to the top. I just kind of checked my splits and for the first time in several peaks, and saw that we were actually like ahead of where Alex was. And not that this whole thing is like a competition. I don't want to like frame it in that way, but it showed me that, Hey, you're not moving that slowly. Like compared to other people at this point in time, you're not moving that slow. So yeah, buck up. You're doing great. Keep going. Um, it just, everything in that hundred mile, in that like, you know, ultra distance, it feels so freaking slow that it's easy to get in your head. hundred percent. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, and then, uh, I'm curious. Um, so you said you had a really low point on La Plata, um, where, was any of your past, like your past demons or anything coming back to visit you? Were you thinking about your back injury? Were you thinking about your eating disorder or, or drugs from the past? And, or were you just trying to stay present? And, um, you know, uh, or where was your head at through most of this? Hello? Sean, can you hear me? Sean, I think I lost you, man. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Adam. Hey, Sean, you there? Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, that's all right. Not sure what happened. My, my wife just hopped on her computer that wasn't streaming, but that might have done it. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right, man. It's okay. It's a good place for a commercial break, and I can piece them together. It's no problem cool. at all, man. Um, so I'm not exactly sure where I lost you, but I was, um, I was just wondering if uh, 
you know, like if any of your demons from the past were coming back to visit you at that low point on La Plata, if, if you were thinking about your back injuries, if you were thinking about uh, your eating disorder or, or drug use or, anything, or was it just strictly like, this sucks and I don't know if I'm going to continue or what was going through your head? Yeah, for me, I wouldn't say that that past stuff comes up too much during my lows. It, it does seem to to center more on you're not going to finish, but I, I guess it does spiral a little bit out into into maybe some self-deprecating talk. You're a piece of shit. What are you doing out here? Like, you know, you can't handle this. Why did you start it? I think a lot of that, that does kind of, kind of come in fray and it it's something i do think about on 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 how to battle through those lows and and how to get through an ultra and then also how to enjoy yourself and and find that that joy and that aesthetic that you may be searching for out there because on one hand i think to get through a lot of the stuff you really do just have to put your head down, block out a lot of the noise and just put one foot in front of the other. But I also know that that one of the reasons I, I really like to do these long things, whether it's a 20 mile long run solo or, or this crazy or, or without pacers is because I, I, I am searching for that, for that experience, for something that maybe transcends my, my ego and allows me to strip things away and, and see who I really am. And I think mm. one of the hard parts about even, you know, even amongst that low is that I'm feeling low. I'm, I'm feeling something. My insecurities are coming out. My even, yeah, sure. Some of my, my demons are coming to the forefront, but to, to be able to keep going, I have to push that down and, and block it out and, and become a little bit more of a, a robot and put one foot in front of the other. Because if I start indulging those thoughts, it seems like you would just crumple along the side of the trail and cry. So I think that's something mm-hmm. that I that I'm still trying to figure out is is how to have that experience, how to feel what I want to feel while I'm out there, and 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 maybe find a little bit of what I'm I'm searching for while still being able to get into that mode where I can put one foot in front of the other, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just ultimately staying present. And, you know, being grateful while you're out there, um, you know, grateful for your health. Um, you know, a lot of people wish they could be doing something like this. And for a multitude of reasons, you know, some folks may not be able to do it. So, um, you know, Great. when I'm out racing and, and doing big adventures and stuff like this, that's what I try and focus on. But, um, yeah, a lot of times you get really down on yourself. And, and like you said, self-deprecating talk creeps in. and so I was just curious how that all kind of went for you, but it sounds like for the most part, you just tried your best to, to shut the, the negative talk out and just stay present for most of it. Yeah. I think that's, for me, that's kind of the, the best thing I can do. Uh, 
I, I suppose I, I mentioned earlier that I'm glad I had a low and I think, I think in an ultra being able to confront some of those demons and, and move past it, perhaps it is a sort of mindfulness in that a, a lot of those, those demons and that self deprecating talk, it, it's real, but, but it isn't, it isn't correct. It's, it's dogma that we've built up in our own brain that, that, that really, I don't think holds up uh, in the light of day. So mm-hmm. I think being able to, to battle that back in the midst of, of an intense moment, maybe, maybe has some translation to the rest of life. Maybe not, Yeah, but maybe it does. Yeah. That's it right there. I mean, it's a great analogy for life. And uh, it sounds like you were able to battle those demons and, and break on through to the other side, as you know, <laughs> Mr. Jim Morrison said, because um, you did it, man. I mean, 46 hours is no joke out there. I mean, uh, you know, I, I've seen people do, you know, I, I've been I've spent quite a bit of time out there. I mean, just seeing someone do 12 peaks in 60 hours is just an incredible accomplishment. And and you just doing the whole line in 46 hours is just outstanding, just completely mind boggling to me. So hats off to you, man. I mean, it's it's just incredible and, and tough for me to even wrap my head around. So you did it, man. Congratulations. I appreciate that. Are you going to go for your own effort? What's what's your plan? Oh, man, I've made an embarrassing amount of efforts, um, you know, some serious, some not so serious. And uh, this year, I don't really have any plans. I'm just uh, mainly helping, uh, you know, pace and crew other people to their goals was kind of the plan for this year. But, you know, I kind of loosely have have it in the back of my head that next year is going to be the year, but we'll see how it all shakes out. You know, it'll it'll happen eventually. That sounds good. I, I could tell you've been out on the ride a lot. I didn't I didn't realize you had made made a few attempts. I'm, I'm sorry to hear they didn't go well. No, it's okay. It's all part of the, the learning experience. And uh, I mean, I just, I, I have such an affinity for that line. And uh, yeah, I've spent a little bit of time out there and it's just aesthetically just a, a, a perfect, beautiful line. And uh, there's just something special about those 14 peaks, man. So yeah, um, that's off, man. Um, I'm curious, like one, one last question. Um, you, you had pacers out there for quite a bit of it. Um do you have any secrets, uh, like things that people did for you or, or said to you or anything that cheered you up? Uh, were you listening to music, anything like that, that, that really pumped you up and, and kept you going um, hard over a couple peaks? Yeah, I think for me, m- music does help and having, I think it helps kind of get some, some dopamine going in my head and, and allows me to to get to a place that I might not either get might not otherwise get. So there were times where I kind of told my pacers, I was going to throw some music in and I wasn't Mm. intentionally ignoring them, but I just wanted to, to get going for, for an hour or so to be able to, to push up to the top top of the peak. For sure. I think with, with pacers having, when my pacers told me that I was, that I was moving well, that I was still moving well, 
that that did that did help me because because I certainly didn't feel like I was you know I was comparing myself to my to a fresher state and mm-hmm. having that that little that that little boost from from them saying that definitely helped I do think that whatever you, you mentioned staying present and staying in the moment and I was listening to there's this 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 one guy I think he's a neurologist he was making the rounds on some podcasts recently I believe he was on ritual and on Joe Rogan and okay. he was talking about dealing with pain and dealing with lack of sleep and and what some of the the studies show us and and it was basically that that having purpose, that having um, uh, a defined goal and a reason behind that goal can help incite some some dopamine firing in our brain and that anything you can do to get that dopamine firing in the brain is going to allow you to continue and to push more and to, to go deeper into fatigue, that a lot of fatigue does stem from within the brain, not necessarily from within the muscle itself, but the brain fatiguing on a, on a neurotransmitter level. So I think that if you can stay stoked and stay happy and, and really appreciate what's out there, if you see a mountain goat, if you see a beautiful sunset to really, to take that in and, and to allow that to lift you for the period of time that it can. And, and as you mentioned, being grateful constantly for being out there and for being able to continue to put one foot in front of the other instead of feeling sorry for yourself that you're going slow i think those were the better moments than i was out there that was not every moment but the more that you can tap into that i think the more you can move through space Mm, awesome yeah that's cool man um I know I said that was the last question. I'm curious, uh, what were you fueling with out there? I know you mentioned you had a foot long subway sandwich at one point. Um, were you doing gels? Were you doing, uh, you know, just powder in, in water or what were you using? So my wife put out a photo on Instagram that said, current clients do not try this at home. And it was a photo of my <laughs> of my like feedback and it was just Pringles and cookies and, <laughs> and Snyder's pretzels. So I, I, I did do a decent amount of, of spring energy, uh, some scratch and, and quite a bit of Morton in my bottles. You just get that, that high calorie Morton, whether it's the 320, which tastes pretty sweet or the 160, which is almost flavorless and just allows you to get some electrolytes in and calories without really thinking you're, you're taking anything in and then that doesn't tend to cause me GI distress. So I did that. And then really beyond that, uh, I, I made little bags at, at different stations, but they have some gels, but you know, like lots of cookies and um, croissants and Snickers bars, just uh, kind of more, more palatable foods for later on. For me, I find when I'm, at that slower pace where I'm not really running at a higher velocity and there's not a ton of heat. I can, I can get down that, that type of food and, and it's, it's what my body and and brain craves as opposed to, to gels further into an event. Yep. 
but definitely yeah. practice I would, to anyone practice with anything you're going to eat before you go out there, whether it's in a shorter ultra or on, or on a long run. Cause you, ideally you just do not want to be throwing something new into the system. Cause once that stomach goes, the, the day can be gone. For sure. Yeah. Um, you said your wife's a, a dietitian. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. So that's why uh, she was not recommending clients uh, follow your lead there. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she in part makes a living by creating fuel implants for people. So I don't think she necessarily uh, wants all of her athletes trying <laughs> to consume pretzels during their next Ironman or ultra. So, <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. So by the time you made it up to massive and you looked at your watch, you must've been feeling fantastic about yourself. And you said when you were running down, you were hitting some 10 minute splits, 10 minute miles. Um, what was going through your head at that point? So uh, coming down, yeah, uh, coming down the Highline Trail, I was able to kind of get up to speed a little bit more. And I was, I was pretty ecstatic because I did not think I was going to be able to run at all. But I think just that being near the finish and then it actually being more runnable terrain instead of that real steep breaking terrain, I was actually able to move. And I was, I was just pretty pretty stoked i was hooting and hollering oh, yeah. and there's there's certainly some wincing and and moaning being let out from the the pains in my quads but i was i was just pretty elated that i was gonna that i was just gonna finish the thing i mean yeah i i, I was certainly happy about the time i'm very proud of that and um that means a lot to me but just being able to to run that long with with the problems that I've had and even hell, even without the problems I've had, it's just, it's just something that, that I'm really grateful for. And and that was, yeah, it was, it was, it was really special. My wife and dog and our friends met, met me like 800 meters before the finish. And, you know, we came across the line. My wife was just, just bawling her eyes out and I'm tearing up a little bit right now. Yeah, it was, it was it was pretty special and um i don't it's i think honestly sitting here and talking with it talking it through with you is probably the most i have processed this and uh, <laughs> i'm i'm really i'm really proud and i'm really i'm just really happy that that i was that my body was able to to get through that and and to be able to experience something that i i, I didn't think i'd be able to is 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 it's hard to put into words i i'm hundred percent, man. hundred percent. I'm with you, man. Um, do you think that you'll ever go back there and try and shave your time down a little bit? Or was this a one and done type of thing for you? I, I wouldn't say I, I won't go back there. I, I could, I could definitely see doing it again, you know, maybe unsupported with a friend. I think, I think doing it, doing that route with a, with a friend would be, would be pretty cool. So I think if I were to do it again, it might be, it might be a little bit more in that style, kind of help help someone else get through it. Um, you know, ideally someone that moves at a similar speed to me, but um, I think that would be would be pretty cool. Um, Very cool. I definitely think that there's, yeah, I it's it's right there, and I, I can certainly certainly see seeing going there again. But there's there are other, I think some other routes out there that, that seem pretty interesting. One of my friends just did the Wind River high route this last weekend. I think that would be 
oh. another kind of wild place to go explore. So. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. Um, how did you celebrate? Did you have afterwards? Did you just pass out at fish hatchery or, or what did that look like? So I came across the finish line and all my pacers and crew and uh, several other friends. So probably 20 people were all there screaming. Wow. It was it was pouring down rain actually as it came across the line and I came across <laughs> and I yelled, I love all of you. Thank you so much. I have to go poop. And I just ran right across uh, to the portage uh, across. Uh, once I got out of that, they had a big bottle of champagne for me, popped the champagne and we hung out at the fish hatchery for probably four hours. Uh, oh, wow. Just hanging out, um, ate, you know, had, had some food and mm-hmm. it was, yeah, just hanging out, swapping stories it was it was a great time you know just a bunch of my friends from carbondale some people from leadville and and some other individuals that that helped out with the the thing like our friend jackson bassett and it yeah it was i just can't think of a of a better way to finish it you know just just hanging out there in the parking lot some of the the people at the fish hatchery were coming over and chatting with us it was it was really cool wow very cool man well absolutely outstanding job man um i'm so impressed and uh it sounds like like i said before you've overcome a lot and uh i mean it's quite the story it it almost reads like a book you know (laughs) like a lot of low points in your life a lot of struggle um some suffering some some dark points and then able to um you know sort of get a handle on that and, and go out and do something huge like this i mean it's it's quite an accomplishment so congratulations man i i hope you take uh the proper time to let it soak into your head and and celebrate and uh i'm sure you'll just get right back out there and get after the next thing so um hats off to you man well done i i appreciate that thank you so much uh we got absolutely got to get you on some skis this winter it sounds like huh Oh man, I know that might be the next thing. Uh, yeah, that's a good possibility. What shoe size? <laughs> if I come out the country, I'll hook you up, man. What shoe size are you? I am size eleven. Oh, I, I, I might have some boots, and you can. You, no way. I, yeah, you're close. I'm eleven and a half, but I wear my boots uh, okay. sometimes. So yeah, we okay. got easy okay. uphilling access out here in Aspen. We got a guest bedroom, so you might have to. Oh wow! Give up. Okay. That's tempting, man. That sounds amazing. All right. Well, um, let's stay in touch for sure. And uh, like I said, congratulations to you. And, and thanks so much for taking the time to, to talk with me. I hope you feel all right after uh, going through some of the darkness in your past. I hope you're not uh, overwhelmed with any of that. You doing okay? I'm great. It's, I, think it's, okay. I think it's cathartic and it's good. And um, I don't know. I always feel better after a little, little soul purge. A hundred percent. And, and there's a happy ending too. So, um, yeah, man, I, I can't say it enough. Congratulations. Well done. And, uh, thanks so much for chatting with me. Um, yeah. Hope you have a great rest of your evening, man. Thank you so much. It was great. Really appreciate it. You got it. Bye.